0: 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Pieskerich.
1: You're very impressive, Martin, and your program is very impressive. I found somebody who mentioned that you're in the top half percent in terms of popularity of all podcasts in the world. Of which there are something like two and a half million.
2: Yeah, well, actually, you as my guests are in, in in that half percent. But thanks for your kind words. You know, I'm just uh, I'm just the channel.
1: I'm delighted to be here. I I started, Martin, um, getting interested in this, the subject of this book. Many, many years ago, probably 25 years ago, when I was studying organizational downsizing, Mm -hmm. what happens, like, for example, during a pandemic, when you have to consolidate, lay off people, retrench, and so on? Most organizations refer to that as downsizing.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Well, turns out, 80 to 90% of all organizations deteriorate in performance when they downsize. That is, morale goes down, trust goes down, leaders get blamed, it's very difficult to be entrepreneurial anymore, communication channels get restricted, all kinds of negative things happen. However, that leaves 10 to 15% of organizations that flourished after downsizing. So the question for me became over time, well, what's the difference between that small number that gets better and almost everybody else who does not? Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't have at the time, I didn't have good empirical data, but I created an impression or had an impression created that was very uh, compelling to me. And the, the impression was that the organizations that flourished were characterized by something I referred to as virtuous practices. That is, they displayed compassion and support and gratitude and kindness to their employees, different than the harm that is normally created with downsizing. Well, that motivated me to decide to begin conducting research to see if my impressions were correct.
2: Excuse me Kim when you paper. say at, at that time uh, was it 5 years ago 10 years ago more
1: so it was more than that it was the downsizing research lasted for about a decade between wow. about the 1990s and about the turn of the century about 2000 Fantastic So starting in 2000 starting in 2000 i began doing research on these what I refer to as positive practices, or I end up referring to them more accurately, actually, as virtuous practices. So uh, the first studies had to do with the extent to which organizations that embedded forgiveness, compassion, empathy in their practices, the extent to which that actually made a difference in bottom line performance. Mm -hmm. And so over the last 20 years, there has been a lot of empirical data emerged that says organizations do better when they practice these things I'm referring to as virtuousness, virtuous practices. Now, why is that important? The most common objection I hear from executives is something like this. Look, Cameron, if you could show me How this pays off in terms of what I'm held accountable for productivity, profitability, goals, stock price, sales targets, customer satisfaction, and so on. If you could show me that this has any relevance to what I'm held accountable for, I would pay attention. Otherwise, this is soupy, syrupy, saccharine sweet, naive fluff. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. It's
1: not worth my time. So for the last 20 years, I've been studying the extent to which positive practices make a difference in bottom line performance. Now, what's interesting is they don't have to make a difference. I mean, if I'm kind to someone only to get what I want, by definition, it's no longer kindness. Now it's manipulation. So kindness is its own reward. Mm -hmm. Virtuousness is its own reward. People are better... If they're compassionate, better if they're grateful, better if they're generous and so on. I don't need a return, but people don't pay attention in organizations unless there is a return. So that's why I've been studying these topics over the last 20 years that led me to another phenomenon that I didn't expect, but emerged and that had to do with this concept of positive energy especially positive energy in leaders what in the world do we mean by positive energy well there are lots of kinds of energy mm-hmm. physical energy is one when we uh, when we expend it it diminishes. I mean, if I run a marathon, I can't do it again. I'm watching the Olympics and watching these folks, you know, 10,000 meters. And when they cross the finish line, many of them collapse, they're exhausted. I can have recovery time when I expend uh, physical energy. Mental energy is the same. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I mean, all of us in universities need a break after a while, or you Mm-hmm. Fill out a RFP or a difficult project. We get exhausted. So mental energy diminishes. Emotional energy diminishes. I get an intense interaction or a debate or a conflict or, or even go to a, a ball game and cheer and root and so on. I, I get tired. The only kind of energy that elevates with use is relational energy. Mm -hmm. It's the energy that is exchanged between two people. So the question is, when I interact with Martin, what happens to my energy? Is he uplifting, elevating, life-giving? Or is he exhausting, depleting, this sucks the life right out of me? Mm -hmm. In which case, he would be a de-energizer. Well, as it turns out, there are lots of interesting findings that have now emerged regarding energy, One of them is that organizations do much, much better when they have more positive energizers. And the implication is anybody can be a positive energizer. You don't have to be in the top seat. You don't have to be in the C-suite. You don't have to be the supervisor. In fact, in many of the studies we've done, the most positively energizing people are not in those senior positions. And so the highest performing organizations empirically uh, discover, we've discovered empirically, the highest performing organizations have three times more positive energizers than normal organizations. What that means is we can develop it. It's not charisma, it's not just attractiveness, it's not personality. It's not just being an extrovert, rather, the most predictive attribute of positive energizers is virtuous practices, Mm -hmm. that is, they display what we refer to as virtuousness, generosity and kindness and compassion and gratitude and forgiveness and so on. Mm -hmm. And empirically, all of those hang together once in a while, somebody will ask the question, well, what behavior is most important? Is it expressing gratitude to people? Is it recognize them for their contributions? Is it forgiving their mistakes? And the answer is, none of these operate singly. That is, is, it's a set of behaviors, that we that's why I refer to it as virtuousness, because there's a whole set of behaviors operating together that help foster this outside this uh, organization performance that is the external performance goes up profitability productivity quality innovation and so on the way it relates to entrepreneurship as it turns out is that it's also predictive of entrepreneurial behavior in an organization which makes some sense to me Because entrepreneurship almost always is dependent on having me feel secure that I can attempt something, maybe outside the boundaries and not be punished. Or I trust that uh, I will not lose my job. Forgiving mistakes, and I will make a lot of mistakes. So as it turns out, it's understandable. Entrepreneurship and organizations flourishes more when leaders and others display virtuous behaviors. So that's why I wanted to write this book because that case has never been made empirically. There are lots of stories told about successes and there are lots of inspirational events, but the empirical data that makes the case that sure enough, there's validated evidence that organizations do better when they practice these behaviors than when they don't, and that uh, that that uh, simply needs to be in the literature. It needs to be out there.
2: What are your experiences uh, during the process? Uh, Was there any transformation or on your personal level as well?
1: It's a wonderful question, Martin. The answer is yes, it uh, it certainly has been. I see in academics, when you get a PhD, for the most part, you are trained to be a critic. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I review a lot of academic articles and the normal assignment, is to identify the weaknesses, the problems, the difficulties. And I've written some pretty harsh reviews of articles that I didn't think were very good. That's sort of what we're trained to do. And what I've learned for me is that I need to adopt a much more developmental stance. That doesn't mean that my standards diminish. Doesn't mean that good work is not expected. Doesn't mean I don't push People, especially for example some of my doctoral students
0: mm-hmm.
1: or junior faculty colleagues doesn't mean that I don't uh, have an aspiration to push them beyond where their uh, current performance lies but it means that I become much more a helper a lifter an energizer mm-hmm. than the reverse This just reminded me of what we all know I mean that's what moms do moms lift us and they don't expect that we're going to congratulate them and put them on a pedestal they just do it well uh it's not that the virtuousness is mom behavior but it's more productive creates better results
2: What kind of epistemology do we need uh, for our organizations to flourish?
1: Well, uh, it's a wonderful question because several things have happened lately. One is uh, isolation, everything being online, not having interpersonal interactions, and so on. That has diminished the opportunity for positively energizing connections now it's not eliminated entirely i mean you and i can have a connection you can actually develop a friendship online multiple connections would help that occur but nobody gets married uh, online you know that is uh, we need interpersonal interaction where honest to goodness positive energy is exchanged So relationships matter a lot. So one technology in organizations that flourish is opportunities for people to associate one with another and get together. I mean, the best organizations I know have spent a lot of time fashioning opportunities for people to get together. So that's one. The second one is many times in organizations that have transformed themselves, gone from a you know a standard okay we're doing just fine organization to spectacular extraordinary and who have uh, implemented positive leadership and positively energizing leadership as part of their culture mm-hmm. one of the ways that we've helped that happen is uh, uh, uh to implement something we refer to as a 90 in 90 challenge here's what we do In the organization, we try to find positively energizing people. And you can do that in a number of ways. Uh, In one company, there were a new CEO took over, he asked me to come and help him identify the positive energizers in his top 40 people. So we had every one of those top 40 people rate their relationship with, with the other 39 people. The question they answered was, when I interact with Martin, when I interact with Peter, when I, when I interact with Sally, what happens to my energy on a mm-hmm. one to seven scale? One, I'm very de-energized. Two, three, four, neither, I'm neither energized nor de-energized. Five, six, seven, very positively energized. I can create a network map where I can just identify who are the sixes and sevens, who are the mm-hmm. most positively energizing people. See, I'm not rating the person. I'm rating the interaction. I'm rating Mm -hmm. literally the relational energy. So I get those positively energizing people together. And in this group of 40, there were about seven or eight. Pull them together. Spend a day with them, helping them identify various practices, positively energizing practices and tools and techniques and so on. And then assign them go throughout the organization and the assignment was you need to infect 90% of this organization with positive practices, positive leadership, positive culture. And you have to do it in 90 days. That's 90 in 90. Now, what does infect mean? Infect means that a person can explain what positive energy is and Mm -hmm. what positive leadership is so they know it well enough to explain it, illustrate it, and they've attempted a one percent improvement themselves mm-hmm. for infecting. Well,
0: mm-hmm.
1: we have had dramatic results. I mean, one of the organizations in which we did this was a worldwide organization, one hundred and thirty-five thousand staff members, and in ninety days, they they achieved ninety-one percent. <laughs> Paul, I'm looking oh. at 135,000 people. And scores in just three months on a their internal climate survey went up substantially just in that much time. So, And there are a variety of other studies we've done where that kind of thing has happened as well. So anyway, there are a bunch of tools, techniques, practices that can help organizations achieve what they want to achieve and bottom line results become apparent.
2: What kind of um state i need to be do i need to have some level of awareness do i need to be open somehow i suppose i'm not uh, i will not achieve good results by being in autopilot state so i need some kind of awareness or what 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 are personality traits
1: yeah it's a good question i think it's not personality Mm -hmm. uh it really is a set of behaviors Mm -hmm. that people uh Uh, can identify we spend a fair amount of time for example with positive energizers before we turn them loose providing them a variety of options for practices that they can engage in or they can help other people engage in and they're not rocket science it's not dramatic for example one set of practices simply has to do i'm going to give you two or three examples Uh, One set of practices has to do with expressing gratitude or recognizing other people. One CEO of a very large organization, between 10 and 20,000 employees, he wanted to implement these practices and wanted to change his organization to be a positive organization. uh One of the things he did was was to assign every employee to positively embarrass somebody every day. What does that mean? That means compliment somebody in front of somebody else who cares. (laughs) He had some people come to him and say, that's kind of silly, it's kind of uncomfortable, it's kind of embarrassing. He said, I don't care. If you do that, you're gonna forget about the fact that they had just lost $210 million the year before. (laughs) You're going to forget about that. You're going to start building on what we what our strengths are, what we can improve on, and so on. So that's just one. Another is most organizations. When you um, when you do well, when you achieve goals, when you uh, accelerate past the target, you get recognized. You get awards. You get a financial incentive. You get your picture on the on the wall or whatever. That is. Most organizations do a good job of managing the receipt of awards. That is, I get something if I'm doing well. Well, one of the practices that has even become much more predictive of performance is to provide opportunities for people to contribute when they do especially well. Now, I need to show you one study or tell you one study. Well, I'll tell you one study after I share the results of these uh, practices. So in some organizations, for example, Martin does especially well, he exceeds targets, he becomes the best uh, performer. I mean, I may give him an award. But in addition to that, I say, Martin, because you're so spectacular, what we want you to do is we want you to coach or mentor somebody else. So here's a person who needs to become better would you teach them, coach them, mentor them? That is your reward is you get a chance to share. Or one of the people in my university learned about this. She's in charge of all the support staff for the faculty. She instituted a one plus one award system. She gives somebody does something well, she gives them an award, then she gives them a second one which they can then hand to someone else. Oh! So every time anybody does something well, they get a chance to give an award as well as get one. Delta Airlines, US-based airline company, does something similar <clears throat> for frequent flyers. I'm a frequent flyer on Delta. They give me every year a set of certificates. Mm-hmm. A certificate is to be handed to a Delta employee so if they, a flight attendant or a gate agent or baggage handler does something extraordinary, I can give them a certificate. And it's a free flight. It's points in the bank or something or other. And what I discovered is when I give those to an employee, I mean, they get teary. They want to give me a hug. I mean, it's, it's a big deal to them. Mm-hmm. And that, that's my reward. I mean, it's such a wonderful thing to do. So I think Delta gets it right. You're so valuable to us. Give somebody an award and so on. All right. Now, the reason that works is because, in fact, I'll tell you a quick study. There, there was a study done of multiple sclerosis patients. Uh-huh. And this is one of a score, at least a, I mean, 10 or 20 studies that do the same thing. These multiple sclerosis patients are, were divided into half. Half of these people were assigned to receive a phone call once a week, having Mm -hmm. somebody express love, support, and concern to them. The other half of these people were assigned to place a phone call Mm -hmm. once a week, expressing love, support, and concern to somebody else. Two years later, they simply measured physical activity, Mm -hmm. self-efficacy, hope, depression, and so on. Eight Fold difference. Those people who placed the phone call were eight times healthier than those people who received the phone call. Eight times. And this oh, happened wow. with people who've lost a spouse. Eight times healthier. It's the kidney dialysis patients and people who've lost a spouse and heart disease patients and a heart disease patient study. Uh, individuals were asked to keep a gratitude journal, meaning what's the best things that have happened to you today? The other half didn't keep a journal at all. Again, four times healthier hearts, uh, recovery and heart health and so on. So the idea is one more practice is to unleash that sort of natural tendency in human beings toward contribution, generosity, and really virtuousness, it's kindness. One of my favorite studies was a study done of children ages three months to eight months. So these children are tiny children, long before they learn language and civil behavior. In this particular study, a child is put on a caregiver's lap and they watch a puppet show Mm
0: -hmm. for
1: about 20 seconds. So a puppet tries to walk across the stage, tries to climb a hill, tries to open a box. Then you have two other puppets. One puppet tries to help, encourage, support. The other tries to hinder, puts a block up, you can't make up the hill, jumps on the box, you can't open the box, and so on. So after 20 or so seconds or so, you bring these two puppets out, put it in front of the child, and the child can select whichever puppet he or she wants to play with. More than 90% of the time, the child selects the puppet that tries to help rather than tries to hurt or hinder. That is, the conclusion of the study is from the time I'm three months old, long before I am socialized, there is an inherent tendency toward virtuousness and away from the reverse. And that's, again, scores of studies have confirmed the natural condition for human beings. Is an inherent tendency toward virtuousness. So all we do is try to unlock that tendency. The purpose for writing a book entitled Positively Energizing Leadership is to, maybe for the first time, make the case empirically that several phenomena occur number one is it's called the heliotropic effect meaning there is an inherent tendency in all human beings in fact there's an inherent tendency in all living systems toward light or toward positive energy away from life depleting energy negative energy See, in nature, the sun is a source of positive energy. It's the life-giving force. Photosynthesis happens only in the presence of life. So as it turns out, everything alive, and especially human beings, are attracted to that which gives life. If that's true, I have big implications for how we rear our children, what kind of relationships we form in our organizations with our employees, uh, what kind of society we build, so on. So that phenomenon has been studied in biology a bit. That is, we know flowers will lean toward the light over time. You put a plant in the window over time, it will lean toward the light. We know that occurs, but it's never been applied, never been uh, verified in human beings. How do I create positive energy, especially if I'm a leader? How do I foster positive energy in my organization, in my family, in my volunteer organization, on my team? The answer, as it turns out, is virtuousness is the single biggest predictor of um, positive energy, of having uh, organizations flourish. For example we are throughout the world and certainly in the western hemisphere and in the united states in particular very focused at the moment on something called diversity equity and inclusion that is lots of sensitivity about underprivileged disadvantaged individuals so there have been at least two major strategies to try to address that problem one strategy is a what's called a demographic strategy. That is, I need a representative from each of these underrepresented groups in my team, in my organization, in in the senior level position, something. So I've got to have one LGBT person. I've got to have one person of color. I've got to have one person of different gender and so on. One category, one representative of each category. That's one strategy that's occurred. It's one of the uh, um, overt strategies of the current president of the United States. A second strategy is a training strategy. That is to create implicit bias training. You need to be very conscious of the fact that you've been raised in a privileged environment, and you need to be aware of the unconscious biases you have, the unconscious inclinations because of your privilege. Well, there was a study done not long ago. It's called a meta-analysis, taking data from all these different studies. It was an analysis of more than seven hundred studies, and the result of that study was not only don't those strategies that not only doesn't a demographic and a training strategy work, but in many cases it gets worse. That is. It deteriorates rather than in, it improves. Well, if that's, if they're not going to work, then what's an alternative? Well, one alternative is what I think this book is trying to make the case for, and that is virtuousness. See, if my fundamental motive is to help you flourish, which is the number one, it's one of the most important attributes of virtuous leaders, they're attempting to help other people flourish help other people learn more, do more, become more, and so on. Uh, That, in fact, doesn't doesn't matter what your skin color is, doesn't matter where you were born, doesn't matter your your ethnicity or your gender, doesn't matter anything. If I'm trying to help every human being flourish, that, as it turns out, is a much more effective strategy. In fact, the, the data is very clear. It really is a much more effective strategy than what we're attempting to do with those other two. So that's another purpose of this book, is there are some practices that in fact, I mean, if the world was a virtuous place, there would be no poverty, there would be no war, (laughs) everybody would be well-educated, we'd all get along. All right, that's another. And then the third major point is This actually affects, it's not just soupy, syrupy, feel good, storytelling. It's not just consultant speak or airport bookstore advice. There's real data, empirical data that suggests bottom line performance goes up. Profitability in some of our studies times four. Uh, industry average, or in one study of, of hospitals, healthcare organizations, 10 times industry average in implementing these practices. And so productivity, entrepreneurship, those kinds of things are affected for the better. And once again, just to underline, doesn't have to. I mean, these things are inherently useful if there's no bottom line performance. But what, what I've discovered is if there isn't a bottom line performance outcome People don't pay attention. So I think they should pay attention. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin
0: Pieskerik.